if you have a mid-game Jenga tower, at a certain point, you have to rebuild the tower. Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. We took a very long break for Christmas and New Year's, but we are excited to be back. Uh, Thank you, listeners, for tuning in again. Welcome back, everyone. If you want to support us, the best way to spread the word about the show, if you're tuning in for the first time, we are a show that talks about the little things that impacts our health, both individual health and collective health. Hence, Everything is Public Health. So what better way to start off the new year by reviewing how flawed and janky our healthcare system is? (laughs) (laughs) janky yeah this was a show that i wanted to do the week before christmas but i didn't want it to end the year on such a depressing note so i decided to do it as the first thing of 2022 we can start 2022 off on a depressing note great (laughs) i think it's better to start low and then finish high than, than the other way around i guess so the title of the show is the beautiful and messed up world of u.s healthcare and you're probably wondering why i'm using the word beautiful and i'm using the word beautiful because It is beautiful in a way like a mid-game Jenga tower, which is you're surprised that it's still up and running. Like This thing should have collapsed a long time ago. I love Jenga. No, Jenga is a fun game, but you you get to that. Jenga is great. You get to that mid-game tower where it's starting to look like this could go. At any minute. This could go at any time. Yeah. And it's kind of beautiful how it stays up despite its flawed structure. So that's why it's beautiful, in my opinion, the fact that it hasn't totally collapsed. This episode is long overdue. A big part of health is how good our healthcare system is. We sort of alluded to this in our first Healthcare is Public Health episode. Do you remember what we did? We talked about different ways people could be uninsured or underinsured. Yeah, uninsured, but also underinsured is also an issue in this country, which turns out multiple ways. If you don't have a job, a lot of our healthcare is tied to our employment. If you don't have a job, getting insurance becomes incredibly frustrating, if not just downright rage-inducing and impossible. (laughs) Which highlights a unique issue that America has amongst most wealthy country in the world. We have a significant percentage of Americans who are uninsured or underinsured. And that percentage, depending on where you look, is about 9 to 10%. So 1 in 10 Americans do not have insurance or have such terrible insurance that they might as well not have insurance. So this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I just saw there's like an Asian country, I want to say Singapore, but I could be wrong, that recently said if you decide to not get vaccinated against COVID, they have to pay out of pocket for healthcare. And the the takeaway of the article was like the worst thing that Singapore could do was to treat somebody like American. a US citizen <laughs> in terms of accessing healthcare if they choose to not get vaccinated, which I thought was spoke volumes about our healthcare system. We are going to do an episode about universal healthcare, which is the approach that a lot of other countries take. And once we do that one, this episode's depressiveness will pale in comparison to when we do the universal healthcare episode. But anyway, that is absolutely correct. Our system is not great. So you may be thinking, okay, so, so what? Nine and 10% of Americans don't have insurance. So what? Like that could just mean the system is flawed, not that the system is broken. And this episode, we're going to dive into exactly why the system not only has flaws, but it's broken in a very fundamental way. So we're going to start with a general discussion, which is what do you think a good healthcare system should do? And we're going to talk about this on two levels, an individual perspective, you as a person, and on a societal nation's perspective. So Cass, what do you think a good health system should do? I think the biggest picture piece is a good health system should promote preventive care and ease access to 
preventive visits, preventive screenings, those kinds of things that can minimize longer term high costs down the road. Like at a basic minimum, a good healthcare system should promote preventive services. Yeah, it should be preventative because it's not really a good setup if all you're doing is like emergencies and people are actively dying all the time, you want to sort of prevent them because the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So would that be an individual perspective? I guess that would be a more societal perspective. Yes, I'm thinking more like there are individual benefits, of course, right, to having a focus on preventive care for your own well-being. But it also is a societal perspective because when we're thinking about scarce resources uh, that we have access to, we want to spend those in the most effective way possible. And prevention is far more effective than treating something after it gets really bad. It's also cheaper too. surgeries versus preventing a surgery. Right. So if you can focus on high quality treatment for an individual who has diabetes, focusing on stabilizing blood sugar levels, accessing treatment, making sure that individual has everything that they need, that's a way better approach in the long run than the way we do it now, where then people have to have limbs amputated or um, their kidneys get damaged or their vision gets damaged because of blood sugar issues that weren't well managed. Yeah. So you can think about this sort of preventive focus being at multiple levels. Yeah. So that's definitely from a societal perspective. We definitely want to be more preventative. I'm not a fan of this analogy and comparison because it makes people sound like it's like a very capitalistic approach. It makes people sound like they're just like production machines, but it's a very important economic metric, which is quality of life loss weight quality of quality adjusted life years yeah so if we have people who develop these chronic illnesses they're essentially losing productivity and that is again i don't like this thing because it makes people sound like they're just meant to produce which is no i think it's not just about somebody's ability to contribute it's about their own quality of life. So if you live for 50 years and you're super duper healthy and you have no issues and then you suddenly die in a motor vehicle crash, for example, right? Your quality of life was high until you died. If you live for 80 years, but for 50 of those years, you have some long-term chronic health issue where maybe you can't move around on your own, your quality of life is not going to be as high, even though you've lived longer because of your sort of long-term health issues. So it's not just about sort of your ability to be productive. It's about an individual's quality of life and how much they are able to do on their own in terms of like activities of daily living and all those kinds of pieces. So thinking about the individual's quality of life, but how that impacts with a broader society, sort of intertwined. Yeah, for sure. And from a societal perspective, if we can prevent someone from losing their limbs, if we can prevent someone from you know, having bad quality of life, that is good both for the individual and for the society in that they can be productive. Now, what about from an individual perspective? What do you, Cass, as an individual, want to see in a healthcare system? Well, things should be easily accessible. It should be not super costly. If there are costs associated, it should be, you know, minimal. That way there's sort of a a balance in the quality and the cost. There should be equal opportunity to access that high quality care, right? So it shouldn't just be available to certain people because I want to get the same quality of care that somebody else is getting. 
and that this could be equitable gender equitability, sexual orientation equitability, racial equitability, geography, yeah, geographic equitability. But healthcare should be something that's just there for people who need it. And if you, oh boy, this is are we about to slide into a hot take? Here we go. So, uh oh, wait, MJ's <laughs> hot takes. Hot takes. So, if you have a healthcare system where it's only accessible. And available for particular group of people, that is, in my opinion, not a good healthcare system because a healthcare system should be available to everyone. So you sort of nailed the three things, which is accessible, available, affordable, equitable. I guess that's four things. Sorry, you sort of nailed the four things. I was just going to say, I think it's really important for people to understand the difference between something being equal versus equitable, right? Yeah. So equality. Everybody gets the same thing. Equitable equity side of that is that everybody gets what they need, right. right? So we need to recognize that there are demographic, geographic, historical, and structural differences that contribute to differences in health. So if we said, okay, everybody gets five visits for free to their primary care doctor every year, while that is equal, it might not be equitable because there are some folks who might not need to go, maybe they only need to go once a year, and then other people might need to go 10 times a year, right? And so making sure that it's not just sort of equal access to healthcare, but equitable access. Yeah. That's the difference between things being equal, everybody getting the same thing, versus equitable, everybody getting what they need. Yeah. That's what a good healthcare system should do. It should be equitable. Some people need it more than others. And we need to design a system that is flexible enough to address different people's needs. One thing I want to add regarding the societal and the national perspective is that it needs to be cost-effective and cost-efficient. For whatever that we're spending, we need to make sure that we're getting either equal, if not more, of quality back. So whatever that we're spending, it needs to be effective and efficient per dollar spent. That's from a societal perspective. We don't want to overspend. So these are the things that generally makes a good healthcare system. The American healthcare system hits none of these things. <laughs> so, Well, um, <laughs> it hits none of these things for everyone. Correct. And well, and- you know, to be totally fair, the affordable pieces, well, unless you're like Warren Buffett, then right. it, it's irrelevant, right? So let me rephrase it to something that sounds a little bit less radical. The American healthcare system struggles with all of these things. Yes, totally fair. Is it accessible and available to everyone? Well, we mentioned in our previous episode that there is, what, 10% of Americans that don't have health insurance. So already that's an issue that plagues our system. Now, when it comes to affordability, medical bills and or medical debt, so I'm sort of bundling them together, medical bills, medical debt, is one of the greatest, if not the top contributor to personal bankruptcy in this country. So if you look at someone who has declared personal bankruptcy, if you are a betting man or a betting person, you would bet that it's probably due to some sort of medical and medical cause because it's one of the top, if not the top contributors to bankruptcy in this country, which is very, very sad. I think we've mentioned, I think I've mentioned before in a prior episode, you know, my dad needed a, a major surgery and he's he's got insurance through his employer before he retired as a supplement to Medicare. But had he not had those resources, had he not had Medicare and supplemented private insurance, it would have been almost a million dollars to cover the cost of his surgery and mine. And there's no way that that would have 
been feasible, they would have had no money left, right? They would have been totally broke. Yeah. And I'm sure there are people out there who's not as fortunate as your dad. Correct. Who has their employer cover their insurance after they retire. There's a lot of debate and argument about what the actual proportion is, but some figures say that around 60% of all personal bankruptcies are related to medical bills in some way. Wow. And this is counting people who had to, is it called remortgage their house? Mortgage their house? Yeah, take out a second mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. If they had to do that for medical reasons, this includes, so this definition is a little bit broader, but I think it encapsulates what people do when they desperately need money. And yeah, according to this research, more than half of people who declare personal bankruptcy, around 60%, had to do it for some sort of medical reason, whether it's them or their family members. Not affordable. And this is the really depressing thing. Uh, you might be familiar with this website called GoFundMe. Oh, sure. Yeah. You create different campaigns to help pay for things, fundraise for somebody who yeah. doesn't have the resources. Sure. One in three is about medical bills in this country. So for every three GoFundMe campaign, chances are one of them is because I need surgery to pay for chemo. I need surgery to pay for this. I'm sorry. I need money to pay for chemo. I need money to pay for surgery. This is not a sign of a good healthcare system. Right. And we've talked about this before, MJ, but you know, we think about cost equating to quality, right? So if we pay so much for our healthcare, then we must be getting the best healthcare in the world, right? Because we we pay so much for it. So much of our GDP goes to pay for healthcare, but we aren't the healthiest people in the world. So there's- Perfect segue, Cass. Oh, thanks. I'm so good at it. (laughs) You're very good at it. So we spend the most on healthcare compared to any other economically comparable countries, both in total number of dollars and percent GDP. We spent 17 to 18% of our GDP on healthcare. Now, you know how there's a lot of articles that says we spend so much on military, that U.S. spends so much money on military. Oh, we spend way more on healthcare than we do on military. We spend four times more on healthcare than we do on military. So I think people need to understand like the scale that we're talking about. So however much military is getting, quadruple that. That's how much we're spending on healthcare. We're talking about trillions of dollars, almost a fifth of our GDP we spend on healthcare. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. Well, how do other economically comparable countries? How do what? How much do they spend on healthcare? Um, so compared to second place, we spend twenty five percent more. This is compared to second place, we spend double the average. Okay, so if you average the economically comparable countries to the United States, we spend double the average of what other countries are spending. That's a lot of our resources going to healthcare, and again, we spend so much. And we would think that we would be the healthiest, Uh huh. <laughs> but we're not. We are not. So let's go down this list one at a time. So maybe we're spending more because we are such a big country. Nope. That is incorrect. If we average it to the citizens or even if we average it to others measure for size, we're still spending the most per citizen. So that is an incorrect explanation. Maybe it's because our government spends more on healthcare. Like this is public spending, like the government is just more generous in America that we spend more on healthcare. Nope. Also incorrect. (laughs) Public spending is comparable across similar nations. So if you just look at government spending on healthcare, all the economically comparable nations to the United States spend roughly the equal amount. The reason why we are double is because of private and out-of-pocket spendings. Let that sink in. (laughs) The reason why we have doubled our spending is because of private and out-of-pocket spendings. So this is not the government being more generous. And come on, when's the last time you've heard the U.S. government being generous? Maybe, 
maybe we use more healthcare. Maybe like it's because of higher utilization that we're spending so much. Nope. Also incorrect. <laughs> the cost is correlated to higher costs and not so much higher utilization. Our utilization is actually more or less comparable. I mean, there's differences between what we're spending on, but in terms of overall utilization, it's more or less comparable with the other economically comparable countries. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe all this money is paying for better care. Nope. Also incorrect. No, we have we have a terrible life expectancy. We have terrible chronic disease burden. Our hospitalizations from preventable causes are really high, yeah. as are rates of avoidable deaths. Like this is we are not getting the best quality for paying the most money. No. In fact, I believe our life expectancy is like well, it's not half. Right, because that would imply that our life expectancy is like thirty-five years old. But it's—I don't know what metric they use. Like, it's like per extra dollar we spent, we're getting like half of life expectancy extended in return, or something. So the, our ratio is messed up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, our dollar spent per life gained ratio is like the lowest of compared to all other comparable countries. There we go. Yeah, right. Not globally, right? Just thinking about economically comparable countries. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I would hear things like, oh, you know, but our healthcare system is better than like the Congo. <laughs> like, why are we comparing ourselves to the Congo? No offense to Congo A lot Congo of people. things in the U.S. are, you know, we probably have better internet as well, right. but that doesn't, that's not a good comparison, right? No offense to people in Africa, but I never found that argument to be that comforting. Well, this is something that's frustrating to me all the time. We'll hear the U.S. isn't doing great in this thing or a state or whoever. Uh-huh. It could be even, you know, a company isn't doing great in this particular thing. And the comment back is, oh, but we're not doing as bad as them or we're not <laughs> doing as bad as, you know, we thought we would. Yeah. It's like, really? That's that's not a that's not a good, not a good bar to set, right? Like we're not as bad. No, yeah. <laughs> we should strive to be good, not, yeah. not as bad. Especially in healthcare when we're spending so so much money on healthcare, not as bad as not a- acceptable standards if we're spending like almost 20% of our GDP on healthcare. But anyway, it's a messed up system. And there have been a lot of arguments and debate about whether it's time to rethink our entire healthcare system altogether, because this is no longer just a flaw in the system. This seems like the entire system is sort of set up incorrectly. And that's something that we will do on a separate episode, because discussion about universal healthcare is a whole can of worms that we simply cannot do it here. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are like us. We have good healthcare. Hopkins is great graciously. Uh, That's giving them too much credit. Um, Well, so just hearkening back to a prior episode where we talked about different ways to be uninsured or underinsured. And we talked about one of the reasons why health insurance is tied to employment, which was there were wage freezes. In World War II, yes. And the like the way to compete for higher quality employees was to offer additional benefits. So offering health insurance through employers became an incentive that people used and it just sort of stuck yeah, around. Never left. Um, and so a lot of people in the U.S. get their health insurance through their employer. And so it just became the thing. And so it's it's not that employers are f- feeling gracious or doing something out of the goodness Absolutely of their not. heart. It's <laughs> like this is how they recruited top candidates. And then it just became a thing, the thing that was the, the status quo in the U.S. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of listeners are like us. We have 
relatively pretty good health insurance thanks to our employer. So a lot of us, hopefully, fortunately, don't have to deal with all these negative issues that the U.S. healthcare system has. And this is a recurring theme on this show, which is just because you're not affected by it doesn't mean it isn't a problem. You might have great insurance. You might never have a negative interaction with your provider or with your uh, insurance company. But the system doesn't work for everyone. And again, the spirit of public health is to make sure that everyone is healthy. This is a real issue, even though it doesn't affect you. So as always, sort of thinking about the public health or population health perspective, we are spending as a nation a lot of money. We're already spending it in some way. Could be through uncompensated care at a hospital, or there are certain things that the government has said it will pay for, like dialysis, for example, if you have end-stage renal disease, which can be a complication from uh, long-term diabetes, right? So there are a lot of things that we are already paying for. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay for those things, but if we reallocate or reprioritize, which we've talked about before, the money that we're already spending, we can get more bang for our buck by focusing on preventive services and supporting universal preventive services and access to some of these basic needs. And then we can not spend some of this other money down the line in some cases. So thinking about the public health approach to the U.S. healthcare system, we need to reprioritize funding for preventive services. Yeah. Going back to the Jenga tower example, if you have a mid-game Jenga tower, at a certain point, you have to rebuild the tower, right? I think at this point and for the last 20 years, when we're thinking about how to fix our healthcare system, we've been sort of like adding scaffolding and adding like blocks, sort of like jamming blocks here and there just to keep the system up and running. Right. But you know, at a certain point, you have to rebuild the tower. Now I really want to play Jenga. Maybe I'll make the kids play Jenga with me this weekend. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and spread the word so more and more people can learn about the wonderful, omnipresent essence of public health. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at EverythingIsPH or Instagram at EverythingIsPublicHealth. Send us questions or comments to EverythingIsPublicHealth at gmail.com. Also reach out if you think we missed an important perspective or suggest a future episode topic. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. And if you're interested in seeing my delicious gluten-free baking creations, particularly all the tasty treats from over the holidays, you can follow me on Instagram at CassPhD. Yes, very delicious. Please also give us a rating and a review on wherever you listen to your podcast. It does help us immensely. Don't forget to like, share, and comment as well. If you want to support the podcast directly, we have a Patreon page, and you can find the link in the episode description below. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.